Hi, everyone. Welcome to Chrissy Regan's podcast, Everyday Wellness. And I'm your host, and I'm joined today by the wonderful Crystal Leonardi. Hi, Crystal. Hello. Hi, Chrissy. So thank you for joining me. We're both based in North Queensland, but you're a little bit more in the sticks as I am, so to speak, at the moment. You're up near Mariba, which is a beautiful area of the country. And I had the joy to visit uh, in April this year and uh, to see um, a lot of the wonderful um, topography and also the industries that we have there. And you're an author and you also live on a farm near Mariba, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, we're um, we're about 40 minutes from Mariba um, in a really lush green uh, place in the Tableland. So yeah, yeah. Beautiful. What do you have on your farm? Um, well, predominantly beef cattle. We are a farm um, running cattle and I mean, but you like any farm, we have pigs and chickens and ducks and <laughs> everything, dogs, cats, yeah, the whole lot. Okay, yeah. cool. So I grew up on a cattle station. I'm visualising everything that you talk about. So yeah. we had the joy of meeting in August at the Younger Borough Book Fair, which was my third year attending that event. And each time I've gone back, I've met another incredible person and another incredible person who becomes part of my circle of incredible people. So thank you for joining yeah. my circle of incredible people. Um, we're going to talk so today. Welcome. Yeah, we're going to talk a bit about your books and I want to ask you some specific questions also around your own journey. So this is your first mm -hmm. book. It's called Boy of Steel. Yeah. It's about your son, Little Sebastian's Big Miracle. Do you want to just share with us briefly about this book? Yeah, sure. So Boy of Steel came after a pretty horrendous year in 2020 for us. So obviously the world was locked down with COVID. Um, but, you know, behind the scenes, uh, we were one of many families who were facing a childhood cancer diagnosis, which happened for us in January 2020. Um, and basically writing became my creative outlet where uh, I found myself journaling a lot um, in hospital with my son. And because he was only two at the time, uh, I just had this really strong urge to document everything uh, for his sake as well as mine um, so that we wouldn't forget things. But also, uh, you know, medically, uh, there's a lot to consider. So, um, yeah, it became a really powerful outlet for me. And at the end of it, turned into a book. So, yeah, a real blessing in disguise. I know it's a beautiful book and I know it's helping a lot of other families and it's also a supporter of the Children's Hospital Foundation. So do you find mm -hmm. a lot of parents reaching out to you for support given their own diagnosis? Yeah, I do. We have a wonderful oncology support group, um, us parents with the Queensland Children's Hospital. A lot of them have read my book. A lot of them have purchased it and are waiting for the right time because it is quite a raw recount of the realities of, of long hospital stays and unknown, I guess, you know, you sort of go in there with really terrible diagnosis, but often we don't know if we're going to leave with our children. So, yeah, for some parents, it's hard to read uh, similar stories, but they do get there in the end. And I've had lots of wonderful feedback. And again, uh, like you said, really amazing support from the Children's Hospital Foundation. Um, you know, their marketing team have read the book and have done so much to support it and get it out there. And, and I guess I wanted it to be a story of hope. It's It's not... I mean, yes, you need your Kleenex, but also um, really uplifting, hopeful story. Um, and it's an honour to share it with so many people. That's wonderful. Congratulations. And your second book flowed quickly and it's called My Brother Sebastian Explaining Cancer to Kids. 
because mm-hmm. you talk and I um, resonate with this feeling where you had to leave your other three children at home whilst you flew off to the unknown to be with your youngest child. So talk to me about this book and, and what you went through the process. Yeah, so my brother Sebastian really, um, it was created for the kids, whereas, you know, Boy of Steel was definitely something I was aiming at parents and families going through something similar to us. Um, I guess after the dust settled and we were back home with my son, uh, I guess the reality of what we had all been through, you know, came to a head and we were all suffering from a lot of trauma and residual emotions um, and difficulties with dealing with those. Uh, But it was different for our girls. I had three daughters as well that were left behind and their ages at the time were three, six and nine. So they were babies themselves. And due to COVID and all these other restrictions because of my son's health, um, you know, there was long periods of time where we weren't able to see each other physically, um, uh, you know, in person. So I guess, and that's an ongoing thing, you know, we work on that every day. Um, But I guess what I realised is that so many people now and usually because of COVID are isolated from each other and, it's fine to say, well, you just pick up the phone or you FaceTime, but it's really hard to have that emotional connection with someone online sometimes, especially children. And often children just need a great big hug. Mm-hmm. So when you can't provide that for them physically, I guess it's about using your words a lot, you know, wisely and um, not sugarcoating anything, being really honest um, but also being realistic about their age group and what's appropriate um so yeah quickly sorry i was going on and on but my brother sebastian has basically written for families of children with a cancer diagnosis but can also be used i have met some mothers who've been diagnosed with cancer and have used the book as a tool to explain their cancer diagnosis to the children so aimed at primary school age children so yeah that's, yeah. Really, that's awesome because it, you're right it's not just for kids it can also help you explain um, adult cancer too which is important Mm -hmm. and so you know I think as a mum of four children and as the mum of a child with you know let's say you don't know if the prognosis or he's going to come home how did you find the strength to keep going at times? Yeah that's tough Um, I guess my obvious answer is I really don't know where I find the strength Um, But I do think we find our strength and motivation to keep going from a combination of past experiences um, and lessons that we've learnt and just in general having hope for the future. So for me personally, um, watching my youngest child fight for his life um, for most of his very short life um, has instilled a lot of fearlessness in me. So I literally feel like courage is running through my veins now. Um, And that sort of changed me from a really introverted conservative who loved comfort and consistency. Um, But after a little dance with death, um, I guess I feel like nothing could be worse. So if I put myself out there and and I don't succeed, I go home to a family and, you know, a wonderful life anyway. So I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it's kind of hard to explain no, uh, what a massive shock. Sense. Yeah, it makes perfect yeah. sense. I'm trying, I'm trying not to cry, to be honest, because it is true until you've, you know, dance with death is a very nice way of putting it. But yeah, until you yeah. kind of have that perspective of how 
bad things really can be. You can be grateful for the opportunity to stand up and speak to a room full of people. You can be grateful. Absolutely. And, yeah. and to really feel that true, I guess, purpose of wanting to help others. And it's not about, you know, my business profile or my professional, you know, um, you know, the, the building of that side of the business now. It's, it is genuinely at the heart of it still about helping other families. So, um, yeah, it's very powerful um, going through a childhood cancer like diagnosis. It's like a shock wave and it kind of jolts you into reality and it's sort of like little things just, it just doesn't bother me that much anymore. So, mm. um, yeah, could uh, someone recently explained it to me, a breast cancer survivor, that cancer, a cancer diagnosis can be the best and the worst thing to ever happen to you. And that is so true because um, mm. I can definitely resonate with that. Mm, you felt you found your superpower within. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I wanted to ask about writing about your experiences and how has that been for you personally? You had talked a little bit about that at the beginning, but, you yeah. know, do you still have that motivation to go on to create, you know, new stories or new things that yeah. since then? Yeah, look, I do. And it's interesting because I do consider myself quite a creative person. Um, and I've, you know, looking back on it, I've always had some sort of creative outlet um, that sort of kept me really grounded and in tune with me, like myself as a person, because um, I think we all get lost in motherhood or our careers and that sort of thing. So for me, writing just became um, something to look forward to, but also a purpose in a really difficult time and it gave me escapism a sense of belonging um at a time where i was just so overwhelmed with emotions so to think that in the most isolating and lonely time of my life um i was able to find joy <laughs> in putting pen to paper is really it's really amazing um so yeah but i mean in terms of how it's been um from a published author's perspective uh it's been incredible I think you can relate that publishing my work is so empowering and gratifying um and it certainly has been a silver lining to life's some of life's tougher speed bumps for me so yeah that's yeah. really awesome I think a lot of um uh I would say I use the word self-help loosely because it's um, mm. authors who create content in order to help others. It's not mm. necessarily always about the hustle, as you say, you know, it's um, about oh. the, the helping factor. And when you're mm -hmm. creating content that you firmly believe will help others, it's a very enriching experience, firstly for yourself, but then for others. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, again, that's a silver lining to what we do is, um, it helped me and I, I like I feel like I've overused the word um, you know that writing is cathartic for me you mm -hmm. know I, I, it makes me feel good but it's so true um, and not just the writing process but what that has brought to my life which is you know sharing my story public speaking that sort of thing so mm -hmm. and yeah. in terms of your own well-being what could you have mm -hmm. done differently and what kind of worked <laughs> for you during those times yeah look um that's tough. Um, look, I heard a, um, a really powerful quote recently <clears throat> um, and it was, it, 
I think it was forgive yourself for the survival patterns and traits you picked up while enduring trauma. Mm -hmm. And I so related to that because I really do beat myself up these days about, you know, um, not spending more time on myself. And I think self-care and and wellness is something we all admit we could do a lot more of, um, especially as a mum. But I guess uh, knowledge knowledge is power so if we know and we have the intent um, that can be very powerful as well so look I think for myself I'm definitely one who serves others before myself so I try and at least spend five minutes (laughs) um, a day um, and I guess after long stints in a hospital I find pure joy in just going outside and you know feet to the earth and plodding around in my garden for 10 minutes or watering a plant or something um and and that's a little bit of self-care but it's it helps with my overall well-being and being able to keep going have the energy for the kids and for the business and for myself so yeah so you're communing with nature as it were I am and look for some people it's whacking a tennis ball on a tennis court or going for a run or whatever and I think it's just really important that we try our best to realize what that thing is for ourselves Mm. um for some people it's just tuning out and watching an episode of their favorite show but if we can try and do that um you know even in a hospital situation I'm a creative so I wrote Um, yeah so yeah yeah well this I can attest to that because this morning I should have gone for my run I wanted to go for my run but I heard a big storm coming and I didn't want to get struck by lightning because that wouldn't really help anyone so uh, I chose to stay in bed but I had a visitor to my bed in the night so my four-year-old's face was next to me and I just thought okay I'm gonna have a mindful moment just staring at the angelic creature sleeping next to me because I can't go out for my run so I should appreciate just the beauty in this quiet moment and and that that's as important for my soul as to you know going out for my run too so you can kind of change it up when you need to Mm. and I think all of our like our well-being has a lot to do with being self-aware too you know like it's I personally struggle with you know sometimes living in the moment you know and I can relate to that when you know, in me, like for me, I would have been like, oh gosh, you know, another child in the bed. I've got to get up. If I get up, it's going to wake them. I won't get that extra hour of work in this morning or whatever. But yeah, I'm definitely working on listen to my body, listen to my surroundings. If it's raining, well, I'm not going to get down about that, you know, be thankful that the garden's getting water or um, there's some other way we can exercise. So yeah, look, it's it's easier said than done, but it's about being just super present in the moment too and just taking one thing at a time, one day at a time. Yes, I 100% agree. So tell me a little bit about your life before you became an author. Yeah, okay. Um, so I guess before I became an author, um, it's like for me I sort of see that as pre-childhood diagnosis days. Um, but Look, I was a stay-at-home mum of 10 years um, and really starting to look forward to the prospect of returning to work once all the kids were back at school. So I was still three years off that, but we were out of, um, my youngest was two, so we were getting, you know, this is good. We're nearly out of nappies. We're not mm. having bottles, you know, <laughs> we're feeding ourselves. Mm. Um, and so I just filled my days basically with home duties and gardening and relished in the role of being mum. Mm-hmm. Um 
And I think I think COVID and the events of 2020 certainly sped things up for me, but I did start to feel a real sense of wanting more mm-hmm. um, out of my life. And, yeah, like I said, I'd been at home for 10 years, which is mm-hmm. a long time really. Um, but, yeah, I think 2020 definitely sped things up and my focus started to shift from tidying the house to professional development and relationships with people who are in, you know, in the writing field. So... I all of a sudden started joining writers groups for no real reason (laughs) Um, and just to find like-minded people who were doing really interesting work Mm -hmm. Um, and it was a real inspiration to me um, at that crossroads part of my life um, Mm -hmm. where I did feel like a lot of the time I just had my mum blinkers on, you know, I was like life is like fully scheduled and routined and there really wasn't much going on for me outside of that mum and wife um role and that I was completely um content and happy and blissful and not not concerned about um you know what was lying ahead other than just getting the kids all to school so Mm. yeah so it's interesting isn't it when that sense of self creeps up on you yeah Uh, I'm I'm an older mum I had my first at 39 and my second at 42 and I remember Mm -hmm. being at mum's groups in London and mentioning things like, oh, you know, I would like to find my sense of self again. And people looked at me with weird expressions on my face, on their (laughs) faces, as if I was the alien in the room. So I stopped saying it after a while. But, you know, definitely for me, I recognize what you're talking about because you're almost talking about the stages of life and I wrote an article for Kittypedia called Ages, Stages and Sages. Mm-hmm. And we need different sages or different like-minded people at different times in our life when we're moving through those different stages um, yeah. of, of life. And, um, and you know, and it also it comes up at different ages. So for me now, I, I um, joke that I've had my healthy midlife crisis <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. I, wrote, I wrote some books and founded a Mindful Mums Queensland. So I've had my healthy midlife crisis and I can kind of use that as my springboard to the next few decades. But I, I do resonate a lot with what you're saying. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. we don't acknowledge enough those significant stages of our life and how we transition smoothly from one to the next would you agree absolutely and yeah look it's really it's so powerful when you because I turned 40 this year so I've you know and a lot of my friends are older than me so and I kept getting told oh 40 is just fabulous you know you really know yourself Um, you are very clear about what you want out of your life and you just have the courage to go for it now. So I feel so blessed to be 40, but also to have that feeling of, um, I guess, being able to subcategorize everything that I'm responsible for. And I guess, yeah, it's kind of tricky. I don't feel like I'm letting anyone down by spending time on myself or my business because, I, I do have that true realization of I have to feed my own happiness mm-hmm. in order to to maintain a happy household amongst the children and my husband. So, yeah, look, and it's incredible how you know your intuition kicks in as well because I've just been blown away at how I've started to attract a certain type of person in my life recently, um, and just feeds the soul, feeds the business. We help each other. And it's just incredible. It's really um, an amazing time in my life. So, yeah, I'm super grateful for that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations for acknowledging that because it is important. And I think what we do in our own life is a real um, role model. You know, we become role models to our children, whether we like it or not. And you've got three girls and one boy and I have two girls and I would hope that they see me as a healthy role model because I'm doing things Mm -hmm. that bring me joy, um, helping others, which is, you know, my number one value and acting with integrity at all times, which is really important. So I think when we honor our values to ourselves that we give our children permission to honor their values too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And things are so different to when we were kids, you know, um, thank goodness they're so, so different to when our grandparents were kids, but, um, yeah, there was still a lot of, you know, the gender roles that were, you know, well, you're a female, so let's get you married and let's have children, you know. Whereas now it's like the world is your oyster, doesn't matter what you identify as. So um, that really excites me for my girls particularly, um, but just for future generations in general. Yeah, it's awesome. And, what you know, when you think about that for yourself, what would you want your legacy to be to your family or to your girls or even to your grandchildren? Yeah, look, and that's such a great question. Um, I guess, so when I think about my legacy and it makes me think about what my parents' legacy was to me and how I got to be to this point, mm-hmm. Um And I often really um, feel so grateful and lucky um, to to be a child of an immigrant mother. And this is a really interesting take on this. But when this question was put forward to me, I really dug deep here. And so my upbringing was all about embracing culture. Mm -hmm. Um, So both Australian culture and my Croatian heritage, um, but also being able to appreciate other cultures in this amazingly diverse country we live in. so I was brought up to have courage and not to let, you know, accepted barriers sort of get in the way of what you want out of life. So my mum turned up in Australia when she was three, didn't know any English, didn't know anything about Australia other than this is where they were going to live um, because it was a better country and a safer country. I guess so for my children, um, I just want them to carry on the legacy of bravery and hope. And, and hope, I guess, um, to be able to nurture them to realise that because of our ancestors' sacrifices, and that goes for all cultures, um, that we live in the most amazing country um, um, with the best opportunities, the most support, and just to take all of that on and just do the best you can with what, you know, with what you've got because, um, like, Australia is amazing. I'm so... And after going through what we've been through with a sick child, you know, I just kept thanking my lucky stars that we were in this country at this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, with a I wonderfully, you know, we, you know, Australia's Australia's tough, but really, for me, the ground roots. Um, I never felt discrimination or any sort of um, boundaries as far as when it comes to children you know, the buck stops there. We They are the most important thing regardless of who they are or where they're from or where their family comes from or whatever. So, yeah, um, it's been a really uplifting experience for me. Um, and so I just want my kids, especially the girls, to just go, you know what, I'm a female in this country and I don't, there's no boundaries. I can study to be a doctor or mm-hmm. I can... 
I can do whatever I want. So I just want them to be able to know that opportunities are there for a reason and you should take them. Mm. Yeah, I can yeah. relate a lot to what you say because I obviously yeah. I grew up on a cattle station. I had the opportunity mm-hmm. to work and travel all over the world. I've even been to Croatia. So um Oh wow. Yeah. So I um I think I do think about that a lot and I know how lucky we are and I also know how lucky we've been, particularly in North Queensland during these past mm-hmm. few years, because you know, so many areas didn't have the same fortune as we are we have so when we you know we we get into a habit of moaning about things or criticizing things or whatever we actually need to kind of come inwards and go okay let's take stock of of what we've got what we can be grateful for you know the abundance of nature that we have the abundance of fresh food that we have um you know and yes it's been challenging in terms of families who've been split and distance and i'm um I'm immensely saddened for those people. But what I also realised having grown up here where I felt like anything was possible and then going to live in other countries where there is very clearly that class hierarchy of people yes um and you then you or I'm I've been and lived in countries where I've been the minority you quickly Mm. start to understand how culturally here we have do have a a lot of challenges and there is a lot of racism as well still but actually Mm -hmm. We also have, uh, we're not led to believe we're any less than anyone else. Do you know, do you no. agree? Ah, I absolutely agree. And I think I think that's where we are so lucky. We're, I mean, look, Australia is, it, like I said, it's a tough country, um, you know, for, for good and the bad. You know, like it's really, I just always feel so grateful that, you know, I grew up in a country where I was exposed to all these different cultures and, you know, like you say, there was never any boundaries around, well, because because your family's Croatian, you can't do this or you can't have that or whatever. You know, it's equal. It does feel like, um, you know, the opportunities are there for everyone. It's just what you make of it. And I guess yes. that message is just um, don't let anyone stand in your way Um for whatever reason it might be a gender thing a cultural thing whatever um yeah no one has the right to hold you back so and and just to be just to truly believe that can be so powerful in itself even if you don't succeed the first time um being really determined to succeed regardless is um super powerful so that's true yeah. and so yeah. what advice do you give to parents now who have sick children yeah, look, that's so hard. I honestly, sometimes I feel like saying nothing is better than saying anything. Mm-hmm. Um, look, parents with sick children do somewhat live in a world where it does feel quite isolating. Mm-hmm. Um, you can feel very alone with the diagnosis in the respect that I know I certainly went through a period where I just felt like I didn't really want to talk to anyone except someone with a child with cancer because no one else really understands. Mm-hmm. Um However, uh, I guess in general, my advice to, um, you know, parents with sick children is just to, you know, arm yourself with as much knowledge as you can. Um, I found it was really important to to make sure that I researched every diagnosis and every treatment option because you do feel more secure and more, um, I guess, somewhat in control if you keep up with your child's condition. So I know a lot of families feel super helpless when there's a diagnosis because, you know, your child's life is out of your hands now. But 
I guess understanding and being able to keep up with all the medical terms and and options mm-hmm. certainly helps. Um, it can be very overwhelming, but I guess if, you know, for us, we just put our brain cancer research caps on and just focused in on that. And it was, it was, it saved us. It really did because we had a full understanding of what we were facing. So mm, you can yeah. have informed conversations, I'm guessing. Yeah, and it's really tough. Like I said, it's sometimes, yeah, you, there's not really anything that will help. Um, it's such a tough one, but yeah that's a big one is I guess just dealing with it the best you can and making sure you're well informed Mm, and I think that you mentioned Mm. about the the hospital bubble and you know even Mm -hmm. I my um I had a family member who was in hospital for almost a year and I was there a lot and then with both my children I was in hospital more than I wasn't um so mm. if I do understand about that hospital bubble and living in that hospital world, which is until you've experienced it as a as a patient, mm. you would mm. never fully understand it. And and now I try to keep myself as healthy as possible because I, I know, know right. <laughs> I know it's like the the it, like you would avoid that place like the plague. It's just it's you know and it's 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 hard it's a double-edged sword you Mm. know we attend hospital every week for chemo so Mm. on that day I'm very grateful for the hospital system Mm -hmm. Um, but when it's an emergency situation or things start to feel like they're out of our control again um oh it's tough you know once you're in there you're not going to come out for a little while so yeah 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 it's a different yeah, it's reliving it's trauma all over yeah, again. Yeah, it's a different kind of patience, isn't it? It is. It is definitely, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for joining me. What would be one thing you'd like to share with us before we finish? Uh, look, I just, um, you know, I've started up my own publishing company, and I'm, I'm tomorrow. I'm talking to some, um, you know, budding authors about self-publishing, um, and I guess. I always hope to leave my audience just with the knowledge that anything's possible and um, there are so many resources out there, not, you know, not necessarily someone like me doing public speaking or workshops and that sort of thing. But if you've got a dream and you really want to achieve it, there always is a way. And we live in the wonderful world of technology now where everything's accessible online. Mm-hmm. Um, so just have an open mind tune in to your purpose and just be true to that and um hopefully good things will happen for you so yeah, yeah I agree it. that's wonderful yeah. thank you and I'm lucky to see you in Townsville in a few months and maybe even we get to go to my hometown of Chatters Towers together as well that yes would be yes I've, I did hear back from the bookshop there in Chatters Towers and they're going to have me on the Sunday morning so awesome yeah yeah I'm looking forward to it it'll be amazing All right. Well, lovely. Thank you so much. Take care. And if I don't see you before, have a very safe and just calm Christmas. Yes, it will be a calm Christmas. Sebastian is a Christmas baby, so it's always a really exciting time of the year for us. Actually, I have to ask you about that. So my four-year-old is a Christmas baby. We haven't swapped dates. What date is yours? Our 23rd. So not too bad. Um. And to be honest, when I went into labour, I was like, no, like if we're going to be this close, let's just make it Christmas Day. Like, come on. Oh, okay, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, but I do have, so my husband's also in December and my eldest. So it's, a, it's we've sort of got used to it. They just yes. get 
a really happy December. Yes. Well, I feel like I can't start Christmas until I've done the youngest's birthday, whereas before I would be organised for Christmas in October. But now Christmas starts for me after the 8th of December. But she was delivered at 36 weeks and six days on the 8th of December. So... Uh, she would have we, I would have been in hospital over that Christmas New Year period if I'd have gone full term but uh, mm. I'm kind of grateful in a way things happen for a reason she's our 8th of December baby and we can do the birthday and then we can do the Christmas thing you know yeah it's lovely isn't it actually I have to be honest my my most fond memories of my hospital stays with my kids was that year I had Sebastian because I was the only one in hospital in the Cairns hospital on Christmas day and I was spoiled and I just sat there and enjoyed my baby on Christmas day it was such a it was a beautiful uh time and um yeah although I was like no not yet not yet in the end I was happy (laughs) okay awesome all right well take care of yourself and I'll chat with you again soon thank you lovely thanks Chrissy bye everybody Thank you.